You wouldn't go to Korea and learn Japanese and just speak Japanese to Korean people and be like, well, I don't understand why they don't understand because everybody's Asian. You have to speak in the language of the people that you're trying to serve. For us, that language is forgiveness and love and joy and uh, laughter. Hello, I'm John J. Thompson, and boy was I excited to finally make it to Over the Rhine's Sublime Nowhere Else Festival in the countryside outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, earlier this year. Michelle and I have wanted to get there since they started it many years ago, but something always got in the way. This last Labor Day weekend, however, we loaded up the car and made the relatively easy drive from Nashville up to Martinsville, Ohio to take it all in. On this episode of the podcast, we sit down with Mickey Lerner, one of the artists featured on the stage and as a speaker at Nowhere Else, and we have loaded up the jukebox with records from all of the artists on the bill. I guess you could say we've got a bit of a road trip to Ohio with a killer mixtape in the dash in store for you this time on the True Tunes podcast. One lone tupelo stood against the iron weed, the golden rod detained our name. Something other than fear and greed Meet me at the edge of the world You need a ticket if you're gonna ride Wooden tracks beneath the concrete sky Where there ain't no rain except the tears you cry The bottle rockets shooting from your lonely eyes Festival, Over the Rhine's annual Extended Musical Family Reunion, as they like to call it, is truly unlike any event I have ever had the pleasure to attend. Although you can feel some part of the Cornerstone Gallery Stage DNA hovering in the background, 
This event, which is literally held in the backyard of their beautiful old house and gardens, is really an extension of the hosts. From the pre-festival dinner for VIP ticket holders, to the workshops and conversations they make space for, to the musicians who perform on the stage they build under a big white tent, everything has that over-the-rhine spirit about it. Karen and Linford curate the music, of course, but where most festivals work to assemble a list of performers specifically aimed at selling tickets, the Nowhere Else Festival lineups are more about the music and people that have moved the hosts. We, the audience, get an extended peek behind the lovely curtain that these two consummate artists have stitched together over the last 30-some years. They assemble friends and compatriots with a special focus placed on one significant lifelong influential artist to share that incredible sounding stage with them. Let the old house burn down and the wind scatter the ash. Forgive myself for all the broken glass, what I didn't know how to say or ask. I'm writing a new ending with a better storyline. Turn the page and leave the blanks with a plot that's less defined. Though I won't get back a day of stolen time. Go to bed at night with a better story line. You can gain the whole world, but you sure don't lose your soul. The green like a hunger will leave your heart cold. A man who knows victory and also defeat will find himself sitting in a heaven. My hand go with me across the map and wander Just a few more miles to go, my dear A few more miles to go All through the night to morn I know that we will get there Just a few more miles to go, my dear A few more miles to go Oh, bless all the ships at sea Make their way back to me Bless all the stars And how far they fell Through the wind and the snow And the rain and the sun Oh, what the hell God bless everyone I believe It's a good day to be One of the initial things I made a point to check out on the first day of the festival was a workshop led by songwriter, artist, and corporate culture coach, Nikki Lerner. The program listed it as an event about, quote, finding your voice through improv, end quote. 
Learners experience helping corporations improve their communication styles, cultures, creativity, and yes, by extension, their productivity, was brought to bear in a workshop that involved listening, singing, and collaborating as a group. When she talked about finding our voice, she used the word our intentionally. This conversation was about finding a path toward community. I knew I wanted to talk to Lerner for the podcast even before I heard the full set she did with her R&B-flavored gospel-soul pop group. At True Tunes, we talk a lot about listening to better music and listening to music better, and I had a feeling Nikki would have some thoughts on that. We'll hear Nikki Lerner's fascinating story, learn about the cross-cultural skills she cultivated over the years, and what she thinks of this mission to listen to music better right after we take care of a little bit of housekeeping. Hello, my name's Rob, and I'm one of the Patreon backers of the True Tunes podcast. I'm honored to invite you to join me in support of True Tunes by signing up on their email list. I know email is often annoying, but by being on the list, I get notified when new episodes drop and when new articles get posted at truetunes.com. Sometimes, John even sends out short notes and gives away records and swag and stuff. Super cool. But really, the point is that by staying directly connected, I know that they don't have to pay Facebook or anyone else in order for me to hear from them, and that's important. They don't send out too many emails either, and I'm always happy to get them. So really, it would be helpful if you'd join me over here. You can find the sign-up link on the front page at truetunes.com. Oh, and don't forget to add John's email address, jjt at truetunes.com, to your contacts so that the emails don't get caught in your spam filter. And if you have any feedback on the show or questions, you can email him and he'll get back to you eventually. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Ray, and I'm a Patreon backer of the True Tunes podcast. I have also left a rating and review of the show at Apple Podcasts. It wasn't that hard. It didn't cost me anything. But this show means a lot to me, and I know that reviews and ratings make a big difference when it comes to how and if others discover these conversations. Would you take a few minutes, maybe even while you're listening, but please, not while you're driving. 
to leave a rating and review. Even if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, the reviews posted there push out to podcast platforms all around the world. Oh, and take some time to tell your friends about the show. Let's drive those numbers up together. Thanks. My name is Nikki Lerner, and I do something. I don't know what it is. Here we go. My name is Nikki Lerner, and I bring beauty to the world through music and an airplane and a helicopter. More people are coming. I'm going to get this in right now. Hi, my name is Nikki Lerner, and I... <laughs> Why? <laughs> That's the worst intro ever. This is the one. Wait, this is not the one. Who wanted to shoot outside? Me. Hey, Nikki Lerner. That was awful. Hi, this Nikki Lerner fools. Okay, I'm really ready now. Here we go. Hi, my name is Nikki Lerner, and I bring beauty to the world through music and love and conversation. And this is my story. Nikki Lerner, thank you so much for taking some time. I know you are a busy woman, and you are here on the True Tunes podcast, and man, I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for the ask. I'm <laughs> delighted to be with you today. And where am I finding you this morning here in the True Tunes virtual interview suite? Where, <laughs> where are you joining us from? You are finding me in the place where the magic happens, uh, the upstairs room in my house, <laughs> my office, <laughs> uh, in uh, Columbia, Maryland. Maryland. Oh, nice. All right. Yeah. And you know, we we actually connected at Over the Rhine's festival, the Nowhere Else Festival. And I feel like you had been somehow you I had bumped up against your stuff um, somehow. But then when I saw your name on their festival, I made a mix and I was listening to all of the artists there. And that was really definitely where you got in. But, but your husband and I had some history we found out, which was which was kind of fun. Yeah, um, which he's was, the uh, one that was really familiar with True Tunes. And so how did we I figure that him. out again? You like you? Well, I gave I you a button him, or something. Yeah, you gave me a button, and you <laughs> talked about the podcast. And I told David, I said, "Hey, I ran into this really cool guy today, and you know, gave him this button, and he's like, True Tunes.' I was like, "Yeah, uh, do, do you know it?" And he's like, "Yeah, I do." So that's when he went to find you. Yeah, because uh, he had listened. He was familiar with the podcast, and he had listened. A bit, so um, and wasn't here he, we go. He, we had some history back in the day, right? Wasn't he familiar with the old version of True yes. Tunes back in the nineties? Yes. Yeah, he was. So we connected on that. So tell me about before we get into what you're doing today, which is so exciting, and why I was like, oh my gosh, I have to have her on the show right now. Tell me about your background, like uh, your musical roots and how this all got started. What was the first thing you heard you were like, ooh, I've got to do this? Well, you know, it's really interesting. I share with people often that my earliest childhood memories are of me singing. Like 
that is my first memory. Like I, I remember sitting, we used to go over to my grandmother's house all the time and sitting in her living room and she would have a couple of her friends over, you know, if our family was over or whatever. And she would say, Nikki, 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 sing that song, you know, sing that song. And I, that's like an early childhood memory. And mm-hmm. so there's never not been right. uh, a time where, you know, I have not, that music has not been the core of part of who I am, right? Um, I totally relate to that. Yeah, it wasn't like well, when I was 16, I figured I'd make a choice and sing. Right. It's like it's just always been there. And so um, so early me uh, was always singing and being creative. Uh, I used to want to be a dancer, hmm. believe it or not. When I was young, I always thought that I would be a professional dancer. And then I was kind of dancing and singing and all these things. And then, you know, music has just always been there. And uh, I had been kind of, you know, singing and doing my thing. And when I was in uh, high school, ninth grade, uh, you know, you get to choose your elective. And I thought to myself, hey, I'm not going to join the choir. Like, I don't really need it. You know, whatever. <laughs> so I didn't didn't join the choir in ninth grade. And then that same year, I had a very good friend of mine um, who had le- leukemia. Mm. Uh, he passed away in our freshman year. And so uh, his family asked me to sing at his funeral. And like the entire high school came, right? And I sang at this funeral. And after that, I had like, all of the teachers and the administrators and they were like why isn't this girl in choir you know what i mean and so from that point on the next year i joined choir and honestly i believe that that moment was significant because i believe that it put me back on the trail of becoming a professional musician i may not have done that uh had i not you know decided to study again It's right here in this place It's right here where you want me In the glow of the sun Rising over the water's edge It's right here in this place It's right here Choir. There's something about singing in a choir. Oh, yeah. I, I I felt the same way, and um, it was a a vulnerable thing when I sang in the choir at our church, which was this Episcopal church, and it was a small youth choir. So we were spread out, and we were singing very formal music, and it was very disciplined. And then I got in this eighty voice choir in my high school, and it was packed, and it was very good. It was a really good choir, and we had a very good choir teacher, but having it was it was i realized later it was relationships it was friendships it was um community and 
all those voices, hearing all of those voices bounce back at me was really important. It, it really changed my relationship with music from being something that was very personal and individual, me and my headphones, to something that was about me in the context of community. And I think that it changed everything. Like it, it put me on a completely different path that I don't think I appreciated until a lot later. I totally agree with you about choirs. Um, you know, gosh, choirs are almost like a football team, you know, to yeah, some degree, yeah. where you hear all these, you know, slightly less violence, but only slightly. Only slightly. Uh, <laughs> choir people just use their words instead of their bodies. Um, but, you know, the, the this idea of working together, the idea of building community, the idea of, um, you know, listening. You know, you can't be in a choir and do well if you're not listening to each other. Mm -hmm. What is the other person saying? And then how do I, how do I fill in next to them? And, you know, really being in tune mm -hmm. with other human beings. Um, and then all the things that come along with it, right? Vibrations and resonance and sound. There's nothing like it. Um, and, and from a performance standpoint, there's nothing like a choir. There, there's no other way to produce a sound like that other than having, you know, 50 people on a stage or in a right. room or whatever right. singing the same song. It's very powerful. What what kind of music were was your family listening to? What was in the ether for you, uh, even as a kid? Yeah, my my family was very diverse in their musical listenings. Uh, there was a lot of like old school R and B mm -hmm. uh, in my house, you know, like the, the Temptations and stuff like that, right? Old school mm -hmm. stuff. And then my mother was a fan of uh hair metal oh, wow <laughs> you didn't see that coming did you? i did not you, you got me you got me so yeah. who were some of the hair metal bands like, she liked she loved poison oh my god and Perfect. white lion white lion but she loved that stuff like uh yeah. well um now we listened to like it's not metal but you know, a lot of Duran Duran and like that whole eighties like, rock, eighties yeah. rock, like big melodic, you know, stacked vocals. And yeah, she loved yeah. that stuff. So that was a mix. And then there was a little bit of some of the more, you know, what we would term kind of white American standard stuff. Um, that sounds like you just Beatles listed a lot of white and, American standard. Yeah, I guess stuff. so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so it was very diverse. Both of my parents are deceased. Oh. Uh, so, uh, which, which really, I think, kind of lends its that story lends a lot of itself to how I feel about music uh, being so communal. My yeah. dad died when I was one, so oh. I didn't know him. Uh, mm -hmm. And my mom passed away probably about 23 years ago now. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Were they both African-American? 
Yes. So wow. I like to so tell people. They, they grew up in the 60s, kind of in that culture where it was in New England, where it was kind of a little mm-hmm. bit more eclectic there. Yeah, okay. it was. And they were artists. So like my oh. dad, what I do know about my dad is my dad was a visual artist. Uh, he was a painter primarily. Um, oh. And my mom was uh, a visual artist as well. And then she sang a little bit. Okay. Um, and so I kind of have a mix of of their gifts, yeah, uh, the two of them. But I like to tell people, you know, that I grew up in a tri-cultural family, mm. although we were all African-American people. Sure, okay. <laughs> so my dad's family is from Gloucester, Virginia, which is very, like, very rural. Okay. Like, their, their house is literally in the middle of the woods. Mm. <laughs> it's like a, a a memory I have as a young kid of like being scared to death to go over there, <laughs> right? So that's my dad's my dad's side of the family, very country, very uh-huh. rural. Yeah. And then my mom's side of the family uh, was very multiculturally minded. So like there were all kinds of people um, in and out of my grandmother's house, our house. My aunt was married to a Russian man for a really long time. Her last name is Filatov, you know, like, (laughs) you know, very, very, very diverse, very open, all of that. And then my mom remarried when I was about three, I think, uh, to my stepfather, who's still living. Um, My stepfather's family is from inner city Baltimore. So those are three completely different cultures, and they did not always get along. I kind of felt like growing up that I was the translator. I was the outlier because, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't always feel like I belonged. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I certainly belonged with my mom's side of the family. She mm-hmm. was awesome, you know, mm-hmm. but I, but like, I didn't feel like I belonged on the rural side because we didn't Mm -hmm. live in a we lived in the suburbs but it was still close enough to baltimore that you know you get a feel for that i certainly didn't identify with uh my family from west baltimore and the city urban culture because that's just not my come from um and you know i didn't look like anybody Mm. you know like i look like my dad you know my dad was six four and you've seen me, John. I, I'm mm-hmm. six feet, so I'm I'm tall. Mm-hmm. So my dad was six four. My mom was five. We're normal two. sized. That's right. We're normal sized. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, my mom was five two, and okay. so even growing up, like I didn't look like anybody. Um, my mom and my stepfather have my brother, who I'm close to, my brother John. Um, but like even down to my skin tone was different than everybody else's. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, it's just. It was weird, and so I always found myself as the cultural translator in the middle, which makes a lot of sense to what I do these days.
you somehow you have this confidence invested in you to take that translator nature and from a pretty early age both find a, an artistic voice of your own and then a career where that becomes your your work when did you start writing music and performing and recording and becoming an artist a musical artist yourself i think i began really seeing myself as an artist and a performer probably when i was uh close to 16 17 something like that um i really do think once i started performing in choirs and uh, that kind of thing and there was an outlet that I started to see myself that way and um, I had been taking voice lessons uh, since I was 16 and when it was time to go to college my voice teacher said you know have you considered become being a music major and I hadn't uh, in fact I didn't even know that was a thing if I'm honest um, <laughs> you know that you could actually just do that in college and so decided to be a vocal major and I really think that, you know, when I was in college, uh, I mean, I'm essentially a trained opera singer, right? Uh, you know, that's when I really, I think just the the idea that I'm a performer really kept being solidified. You know, I was singing in a band uh, while I was being trained as an opera singer, you know? So I was singing in a band when I was, by the time I was 19, singing that band, uh, like a vocal band for like, 10 years so I was performing there and then I was performing at school so I was doing like pop music over here and then at school I was doing classical Brahms and Schubert and Schumann and Wagner and you know all of that and where were you where were you going to college I went to Towson University here in okay. Maryland cool. great school really great music school um, and so that's what I was doing right. and I mean performing was just my life you know, it's, in fact, I mean, it's always been my life, whether that's been professional or just in my grandmother's living room. There's never, there's never been a time where I have not been a musical performer, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Right. And did you meet David, your drummer and husband in the band? Was that kind of how you guys connected? Yeah, kind of, sort of. Uh, my friend, one of my best friends, her name is Tracy. Uh, she uh, was in this band with me. And funny thing was how this band started. We were just a group of friends that would get together on Monday nights just to hang out. And we would hang out, and we're all singers and musicians, right? So we would hang out and we would share songs that we had written. Um, you know, we would pray together. You know, we would we'd read scripture together sometimes. We were all. What was uh, the band called? Did it have thing. a name? It did. It, un Unveiled oh, was the yes. name. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> Unveiled. And so the way we turned in to be a band was somebody just said, hey, would you guys come do a concert? And we were like, uh, we're not a band, but okay. And um, 
So then we said, well, we should have a portion that's live because we were singing the tracks. That's how old. That's how long ago this was. So (laughs) Tracy says, well, I know a drummer and started inviting David to our gatherings on Monday. And that's where David and I started kind of hanging out. And we had met each other a couple of times before. But, you know, there was kind of nothing there or whatever. Um, But we just started hanging out and we would we would go out on the weekends because uh, he was going through a rough time and I would pull him out of the house and we'd go out on the weekends and we'd go to Denny's or Bob Evans or whatever and shut the place down, you know, <laughs> and I was kind of falling for him and he was clueless. Um, <laughs> and then one night I kissed him. I didn't plan it. Uh, and that was about, was. That, you guys had an anniversary just yesterday, right? Yeah. I just that saw was, that. Yep. Yeah. That was the anniversary of when we first started. Man. So that's kind of the story. We've been married. We've been married for 23 years, been together for 25. I could sit for hours while you speak about your life. Lofty dreams and high school lovers and how the time flew by. You get that look in your eyes, the one I know so I could sit for hours while you slowly reminisce Looking back and thinking of good times you may have missed You get that smile on your face And life fills the room Just to be to be near you loving you never gets old knowing you never gets old when did you start writing music and coming up with original songs mm. yeah so i probably started writing music um around 2008 and i remember i remember a distinct moment actually john where um, i never saw myself as a songwriter really i mean i had written a little bit in the band but still like even if i wrote a song i thought oh well that was just that happened by accident you know <laughs> like i'm a performer but i never thought of myself as a songwriter that's, that's how i felt right like it was totally random right. so um but i don't know i had this epiphany uh from a friend actually in like 2008 and i'll never forget there's a songwriter in faith circles um back in the day a guy named chris tomlin um and so i remember a friend of mine said to me we were at a conference and Chris Tomlin was talking about songwriting and he leaned over to me and he said, who said that Chris Tomlin gets to write all the songs? That's all he said. And I was like, oh my God, you're absolutely right. Amen. And John, that is the moment. I started writing songs. 
Yes. There you go. <laughs> Amen. It's like it never dawned on me before because it was always like, oh, well, those are the really gifted writers. Right. You know, Paul McCartney and, you know, all these people that, like, they're the writers. The rest of right. us are just, you know, whatever. So... That's the lightning striking moment. Like that's that's the revelation everybody yeah. should have is that we should all be doing this. <laughs> it's it, not, it, especially yeah, if you listen to those songs, it's not rocket science at that point. Yeah. It's not I like mean, it, it opened everything up for me. And at the time, I was uh, leading and uh, in pastoral ministry in a faith community, oh. um, and I had done that for a while. I did that for about twenty years. That's a whole another story. Wait, so um, what, when you say leading in a pastoral ministry, uh-huh. that sounds like a lot of words. You were pastoring a church? Is that what you're saying? I was uh, pastoring the worship ministry oh, okay. at our church, a thriving multicultural church here in Columbia. It's about 5,000 people. Wow. Um, and uh, about 52 different nations represented. Oh, my goodness. And I want to go. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. But so yeah, you've been I did doing that. that as well. I didn't even know that. Well, okay. I did that for about oh. 20 some years. Um, I just, I've been out of that role uh, for about four years now. Okay. But this is significant because, so around 2008, 2009, I was in this role. I see. And I was leading worship every week, right? Mm. And involved in, you know, uh, I don't know what the, the cross-section of your listeners are, but if you're in a faith community, <laughs> no you know exactly what that is when I right. say leading worship. If you're yeah. not in a faith community, what that means is, you know, as a musician, you write or choose or pick songs so that the room can sing, right? So that other right. people can connect to God through song. And that's what I was doing. And after a while, I felt like I was losing myself as an artist. Mm, right. Like, I hated I hated worship music. Mm-hmm. Now, when I say hate, I didn't hate the content. I hated the music. Yeah. But I felt like I was stuck because I was a worship leader. And this is what you do when you're a worship leader, right? Even though, um, you know, in our church, uh, writing original music was a value mm. that I instilled as a leader. That's great because that's Absolutely. rare. <laughs> Often it's more like you're a cover band you're a cover playing band. the hits you're and you're the lounge act that's band. opening for the main act, which is the TED talk that's coming up in a little bit. <laughs> and that's what was right. that's what was sucking the life out of me. I was like, I don't know who I am as an artist anymore because all I'm doing is other people's songs. Mm. And I thought to myself, I have to get my songs out. I'm sorry for the you've heard this before John or your listeners have heard this particularly if they're in communities of faith is there's this thing that goes around uh, this oppressive message that goes around to creatives and churches particularly singers that if if your music 
uh, the content of your music does not say the name of Jesus, then it's secular. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. And I believed that. Mm. I received that message for several years. Mm. And But I was like, yeah, but, but the songs I write, I write love songs. Mm-hmm. Like, I write... You know, I'm not writing corporate worship music. That's not what's coming out of me. I'm writing regular old songs about life, mm-hmm. right? Like everybody else. Right. And so I was like, these have to get out. And honestly, that's how I, uh, my first record, my first full length record called Longings, that was sort of like my rebellion <laughs> yeah. to, I got to find myself. And that was the moment when I started working on that record um that i felt like i found the rest of me Mm. and it's cool that it it manages to launch from this place that is spiritual and grounded and it's got all this musculature from soul music and funk and pop and gospel all in there working so that it's not just brain music like it feels like something that's existed for a long time because it's evolved in its own environment as opposed to something calculated and perfect because it comes out of a record company that says this is we're engineering this for a marketplace you're this is kind of evolved in its own it's almost like it evolved on an island separated from everything else but it has ingredients from all these other genres yeah that's totally what we do and you know people ask me so so what is who do you sound like? Or what does your music sound like? And I have a really hard time answering that. Because usually I'm like, well, um, we we sound like us. <laughs> That's usually my first response is like, right. I sound like me. <laughs> right. uh, and then the music that we do, I'm like, well, it's a little bit of soul. It's a little bit of R&B. It's a little bit of acoustic. It's a little right. bit of whatever, you know, right. whatever we want to do in the moment. Part of our sound comes from our influences and our skill set. But the other thing that, that comes into play is who are you playing for? So when you when you have a gig every week leading worship, quote unquote, then you know the you know the aspects, you know the techniques that are gonna accomplish what that audience wants. When you play in a club, when you play in a bar, when you play in a theater, when you play at a college, there's a different audience that's there. And so you develop different skills to accomplish what that audience wants. And I don't think all artists realize how much of what we do has to do with what the audience really wants because we want to be good at what we, we want to deliver something that the audience wants. Oh, I love this question so much. I love it. Context is king as an artist. That's pretty much what you're saying, right? Mm -hmm. Context is king and so is service. And I use the word service, which a lot of times can feel like, can feel very at home in communities of faith, right? But I don't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're in a church or you know a, you don't have a faith come from or you're an atheist or whatever or you're playing in the bar it doesn't matter music is service and it, as an artist 
if you can arrive and look and, and and arrive at a gig or arrive at wherever you are and think about what does this like how can i serve this group of people now you're not going to know everything they need right but if you think about how can i serve then you can get your mind off yourself in the moment right because all you're thinking about is how do i how can i create a moment or create some moments for the crowd that i'm in front of mm-hmm. right and the way that you can think about how do I serve myself as well is how do I show up and just be fully who I am or who we are as a band and stand in that? You know, for instance, you know, we met at the Nowhere Else Festival. Well, the Nowhere Else Festival is an Americana festival. Right. You've heard my stuff. You see me play. We are not an Americana band, right? right. So, but... When we show up, I remember the first year that we played, I was kind of like, how's this going to go? You know, uh, mm-hmm. just because we sound so different. But then you settle into, yeah, and we just need to be who we are because that's the best way that we can serve. And what I've heard from people, particularly at that festival, uh, and, and you know, that festival, there's people from everywhere, all, all kinds of come come froms and backgrounds. The one thing I always hear is, that people appreciate the joy that we bring. Joy is universal, right? Joy is service in that regard. And I love that. I, and I used to tell people, they're like, so what do you do, particularly church people? They'd be like, so what are you saying? You know, if you're not singing about Jesus, then what are you singing, <laughs> you know? I'm like, well, first of all, um, you know, I am a person of faith uh, and nothing that comes out of me will ever be secular anymore. So that's the first thing. Um, Second is there's a whole book in the Bible that does not mention the name of God at all. And it's still in there, right? Because it's in context. And third, I tell people, I feel like I write songs about life through my Jesus filter. Yeah. Now, if I'm playing in a club, nobody needs to know that. I don't need to tell them, hello, everyone. Just so you know, I'm singing songs through my Jesus filter. Right. It's all about language. This right? next song about making love is actually also informed by my faith. I know. <laughs> you know I mean? But see, you that's where that. like Christian artists get really creepy. Right. Like, just stop. Stop. You wouldn't go to Korea and learn Japanese and just speak Japanese to Korean people and be like, well, I don't understand why they don't understand because they're all, everybody's Asian. You know, like you wouldn't do that. Right, right. You have to speak in the language of the people that you're trying to serve and for us that language is forgiveness and love and joy and uh, laughter we'll be back with more of my conversation with Nikki Lerner right after this Hey there, I'm Mark Feldbush and I'm a Patreon backer of the True Tunes podcast and I follow and listen to the weekly Spotify gallery stage mixtape that John curates for us every week. I get to hear classic artists that I really dig and discover new artists. Every week, usually on Wednesdays, the mix is updated with around 40 songs from brand new releases, 
to deep cuts, and from across a wide range of genres including rock, Americana, indie, gospel, blues, sacred music, soul, and so much more. It's also great to hear a mix that blends up great music that is just good, beautiful, and true without all of the genre and market limitations and boxes I hear everywhere else. You can find the mix on the front page at truetunes.com or on the show notes page for this episode. And if you follow it, it will live there in your Spotify browser and update automatically each week. And don't miss the massive archive list where all previous lists get saved. And as great as Spotify is for music discovery, please support the artists you love once you hear and discover them there. Thanks. Hello, I'm Chris, and I'm a Patreon supporter of the True Tunes podcast, which has quickly become one of my favorite podcasts. I can always expect John's warm voice and insightful questions to draw out the stories, wisdom, and faith of beloved and new to me musical artists. After every episode, I'm always listening with fresh ears to favorite albums or visiting new albums for the first time. It's just like when I used to visit the old True Tunes store in Wheaton, Illinois, but now I can visit every week with new episodes. True Tunes Patreon supporters support the show with monthly donations of $5, $10, or $20, which helps cover the cost of producing and hosting the show. As a thanks for our support, we get early access to episodes and high-quality, lossless WAV files of each episode that we can download. We also have occasional Zoom meetups, some special live streams, discounts on True Tunes swag, and more. You can join me and the other patrons by visiting patreon.com slash truetunes or finding the link on the show notes page. If an ongoing patronage thing is not the right fit for you, but you'd like to give us a tip to help with the costs associated with this show, you can find links for that on the show notes page. Thanks and enjoy. about your other work that you're doing because I only heard a little bit about it but it seems like your full-time work is actually kind of leaning into your musical skill sets but applying it in professional contexts that have nothing to do with music 100% how did that yeah, come so about? what I do full-time uh, I say what what I get paid well for we'll say it that way yeah <laughs> Um, is I'm a culture coach and I work with uh, presidents and CEOs and uh, senior leaders of organizations and, and companies and I help them become multicultural leaders 
uh, and I help them move their organizations from historically monocultural to a healthy multicultural um, in their work and in their life. And that's what I do every day. I get to work with leaders and help them think new ways about uh, how to expand their cultural diversity and also how to cultivate a culturally rich environment. How did you train for that? Like, how did that ex- skill set evolve for you? <laughs> wow. So, what I believe is that this started in the midst of the way that my childhood was. Hmm. As I shared earlier about being in the middle and being the translator and trying to figure out where I fit, um, I believe that that's where a lot of it began, the passion of it began. When I started working at, uh, you know, in my role at, in our faith community, our faith community, you know, as I said, was very diverse, and it was intentionally diverse. Uh, and even now, you know, churches are still some of the most segregated places ever, uh, still, in our country. Mm-hmm. And um, this was like the first church I had ever seen that was diverse. And when I found out how intentional they were about it, Uh, it changed everything and so a lot of what i'm teaching these days are things i have done in order to build a diverse environment and so you know i've been doing this intentional diversity work for over 20 years um and i've seen a lot um i've made uh, some mistakes and i've done a lot of things really well and so when i transitioned out of that I thought, you know, I could really help people who are trying to wrap their brains around this for the first time. And uh, I'm glad I did. I left uh, in 2018, um, started my own business in 20, well, right after that, in 2019, January 2019. And then wouldn't you know it, uh, some crazy things happened uh, around ethnicity and culture. um, And I was ready to receive people. So most of my training up until that point is all, I'm a practitioner. And that's what I love to tell my clients is, everything I tell you, I've done. Mm -hmm. I didn't read a book. I didn't take a two-week course at Cornell. So now I can be a diversity trainer or whatever they call them now. Yeah, I don't know. I've I've done it. Hey friends, it's Nikki Lerner here. How you doing? A multicultural minute for you today. Now, for those of you that live in a kind of multicultural world, you might be like, what's the big deal with this? But for those of you that live in a monocultural world, I wanna let you know about this one tactic that will totally transform how you engage cross-culturally. It's the art of the greeting, just saying hello. I know, it seems strange, right? Because a lot of times we just blow up uh, so much of trying to relate cross-culturally to like these big things. And really, it comes down to just some of these small little interactions that we have with one another. So when you walk into a room, one of the most important things that you can do if you want to communicate cross-culturally is to make sure that you speak, say hello, introduce yourself um, with people in the room. I've been places before where um, I've been sitting in a room full of people and uh, a culture group will walk in, person from a culture group will walk in and just not say anything to people in the room. Um, And then another person from another culture group will come in and greet every person in the room. So I want to let you know that you can never go wrong wrong with coming into a room, coming into a space, being cordial, just saying hello. Because check it, 
everybody can say hello. Everybody can introduce themselves. Everybody can at least have that initial, hi, how are you, my name is. You may not be able to connect with everybody on a social level. You may not be able to connect with everybody on a business level or a theological level or um, an education or socioeconomic level, but you can communicate by just saying hello. I've really zeroed in on this idea that music and art in general is like a sandbox that we get to work in. I, I think about being a kid and playing with tools and toys in the sandbox and you you think it's just play, but you're actually building muscles and skills that are gonna come into play later in life. Um, the kind of diversity work you're doing as a consultant is how is music and art speaking into this um do you feel do you find that this kind of creativity work is helping people become more inclusive and more mindful of how they're achieving uh an enhancing community in their workplaces and their corporate structures or their communities i i do let me, let me break this apart a little bit. let me start with music so as we said music is communal right M music is uh about what we do together um, that's why I love it. It doesn't matter if you're in a choir or in a band or, or whatever, it's communal. And you know, like I do, particularly when you play in a band, and I'm not talking, let me remove faith community band, because this doesn't always happen there. <laughs> right. Just in a regular old band, right? right? That a lot of times you are playing with people from different backgrounds, right? Depending on the kind of music you play or, but even then, like, you could be doing a, a gig in a club and have a band open for you that's diverse or whatever. Like we're always intersecting mm -hmm. with each other. Right. And there's something about just playing music together and listening to one another's uh, uh, output and uh, art that draws us closer to people from different come froms. And we may not always be aware of it, but it is it, it is writing itself on the tapestry of who we are, right? All the time. Uh, so music has that that ability to almost bring us more proximate to people, whether we're proximate with them in real life or not. You know, I have I have a a, a record that I love listening to, and it's a record of Nepali music. And I love the sounds, right? I love the sounds. I don't necessarily know anyone close to me from Nepal. I've met some people from Nepal, but I don't have like a close friend from Nepal. But it does help me feel closer to the people of Nepal when I listen to that record, hmm. right? Yeah. And so somehow or another that brings us even a, a small slice of proximity. I actually believe that, that musicians and creative people are part of the answer to some of our diversity issues here in the United States. I mean, if you think about it, currently we have no good model in our country of how to talk about these things because our current model is let's wait for something awful to happen. And then once that happens, then let's all of a sudden start talking about um, issues of, you know, that affect culture as it relates to ethnicity. And then everybody's on fire Right. and all up in their feelings and now we're like see we can never talk about this well right. if you try to talk about it when <laughs> you know uh, like the world is not on fire you might have a different experience but what happens is we only talk about cultural issues 
or cultural come-froms in the U.S. here, when the atmosphere is negative, when it feels like drudgery, mm-hmm. when there's blame, when there's shame, when there's right. guilt. And the reality is, is that artistic people have the opportunity to give us some context that is full of things that we feel, uh, that is a bit more, if I can use the word redemptive, uh, a bit more redemptive than what we're used to. I think art, art draws us or invites us out of our head and into our heart. I think it goes too far to say that music or art doesn't involve the rational part of the brain because it clearly does. And and we even now see so much expert understanding about how art and uh, creativity actually enhances education and learning and even things like math and science that, that... young people who are exposed to creativity are going to learn rational things better. You know, as you were talking, I just I had a thought. I don't think I've ever said this before out loud, but the way that I structure a music set uh, for a gig is a lot of the ways that I structure my work with my clients. Interesting. How so? You know, when I... So... If I'm in front of a new audience as a musician, I realize that uh, the first like five to ten minutes that we're dating, okay, you know, I'm I'm <laughs> right, dating yeah. the audience, yeah, right, right? right? They're they're totally. trying to figure out if they want to stay and they like me, right? Right, <laughs> right exactly. Um, you know, they saw me online and now we're in person, and they're trying to figure out do we want a second date? You know, right? Um, so I kind of look at it like that. I look at you know we're dating. And so there's a there's a buildup, right? So I don't start with my deepest message uh, in a set, you know. Right. I kind of wait till there's a bit of an arc, right, and then kind of go in for the main message of who I am as an artist. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing in my culture work, you know. I start very much like I want to earn people's trust, so that when I have to say some things that might be a little more high flame, uh, that they trust me knowing that I'm their biggest cheerleader and that I'm telling them some things because I believe in them, not to shame them or to guilt them, but I'm telling them this so that they can get better as leaders, right? But it's a, it's a similar kind of crafting of the process of working with clients and the process of working with an audience. They go together. You did an exercise at the Nowhere Else Festival where you would start with a real simple melody and have people sing it and then add to it. Tell me about this exercise and what it accomplishes and how you developed this uh, and and why. <laughs> well, the strategy behind an exercise like that is listening, is confidence building, and is... Um, Uh, more creation so in that exercise uh, and by the way when I showed up for those workshops I I showed up I didn't know what I was going to (laughs) do 
I, I mean, I know how to lead a something like that, but I didn't like I didn't have any melodies. You know, oh, I wasn't like, right. okay, here's how we're gonna start. Ooh, you know, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna see what's in the room, and we're just gonna go with it. And that's what we did. And so I said, who's who's got a melody or, you know, whatever. The the second day, I don't think you guys were there, but the second day, this woman's phone went off by off by by accident, <laughs> and it had a tone, oh. and I was like. Let's use that. Everybody sing that tone. And the whole room sang the ringtone. And we built an entire <laughs> song off of the ringtone. It was so awesome. But so in that moment, right? So somebody starts with a with an ostinato pattern, very easy pattern, could be anything. And the point is to get everybody to sing that pattern first, so that everybody is starts at the same level, right? And that everybody knows the basis of the song. It's really right. important because a lot of people just want to start adding parts. It's like, well, you can't add a part to a song you don't know yet. Mm-hmm. You got to listen. What's the bass? So listen to the bass. So everybody sings the bass, and or the bass notes, I mean. And then then you build off of that, but you try to keep uh, the stability as much as possible mm-hmm. because people don't know where you're leading them. They don't know where you're going. So you have to have something that is constant. And then you just start, you literally start making stuff up. <laughs> and you think, what sounds good here? Oh, let's just try this. Let's just try it. That's the whole, the beauty of, of an improv space like that is there's no right answer. And that is really what I wanted people to experience. That there's there's no right answer. There's only creativity in a moment like that. Hmm. We, we could have sang whatever we want. Now, it has to make sense. But making musical sense and something being musically right are two completely different things. How so? Right? Well, so... I wanted it to make musical sense. Making musical sense is, is the part that I'm adding here, does it enhance what's already being sung, right? Musically right uh, could be, you know, if you're gonna sing a C major chord, let's create something that sounds like it makes sense. Does it mean it has to be non-dissonant? Right. And my main point with the audience in that exercise is to try and to experiment because, you know, our, I think our society, everybody wants to be right all the time. And no matter what that is, right? And nobody wants to look like a fool. But you cannot grow if you're not willing to look weird. I tell my clients all the time in diversity work you have to be willing to be awful before you're awesome. But everybody just wants to be awesome. So that's what I wanted people to feel. I wanted right. to people to feel the discomfort. So you do that those kinds of exercises with corporate <laughs> clients too? People no, in suits not, and boardrooms? Well, not singing. <laughs> not oh, okay. singing. Oh, other types of ways. But um, I think that there is an element of co-creation that I'm trying to draw out of them in the process most of my corporate clients they want me to just tell tell me what the, you know tell me the 12 steps what are the 12 steps to a perfect diverse organization i'm like it doesn't exist you got to make it up yeah i mean you got you got to create it 
Right. And uh, it's hard. It's hard for people to trust themselves because they're not used to trusting themselves. They're used to trusting other people to tell them how to do it. I want people, whether it's music or whether it's culture, to know that they can create the thing that they want, that they can be part of it. They don't have to just be a, a glorified cover band, right. right? That they can actually create the environment that they want. And that's what's necessary and needed at all times. We are so used to the way that we are used to seeing how success has come to us in the past that we can be afraid to try a new way of being. And you have to know that when you jump into culture work, you're going to have to try some new things and it's going to feel uncomfortable and it's going to feel that you're going to worry about it and you're going to wonder if it's going to work. But you have to know that staying and doing things the way that you've always done them will not bring you the new results that you are looking for when it comes to culture work. So don't be afraid. Things have to change and it's time for a new way to do things. I hope you enjoyed this. And if you need some help, remember, I'm a culture coach. I'm here to help you. I'm here to step in with you and walk with you along the journey. So how has this work that you're doing as a consultant over the last years impacted your creativity as an artist? Well, you know, it was a, it was a side effect that I didn't see coming. And that is that, um, you know, when I was leading a creative department at my church, you know, my full-time gig was, my, you know, all the money I made was coming from creativity and music and whatever else it was. And... Um, when that stopped and I shifted over to doing culture coaching um, and that's where you know 99.8% of my <laughs> income comes from is coaching it actually it actually freed me up to just be an artist like I wasn't thinking about okay how do I make a living out of this right. and I used to equate that to meaning that I had failed at some some level, like if I wasn't making 100% of my income from my art, then I'm a failure, you know, I'm a creative failure. But that's not true, is I actually think it's the other way around. You know, my coaching work pays me so well that I get to choose with right. regards to music, right? Right. right? So I get to pick. I don't have to take everything that's around because I need to pay, pay my mortgage. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I get to choose. And so now, there's, it's what you said at the beginning, there's a, there's a lot less pressure on me. Now I can just create. There's a little bit of the business side I have to think about, but it doesn't consume me 24 seven because mm -hmm. I know that if I have a gig this week or I don't have a gig this week, my bank account's the same, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Right, um, right? I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to connect making money to making art. Right. And I like that and I didn't think I would. Hiding need terrified.
how can people track with you? What's the best way for people to keep in touch, whether it's the music side or if somebody out there was like, boy, I could use a culture coach right now. Yeah. Well, you can find everything I'm up to at NikkiLearner.com. That'll send you everywhere. Um, You can uh, listen on streaming platforms or if you still have a CD player, you could actually buy CDs from me. I still have them. Uh, I still have CDs and t-shirts and a lot of fun stuff. Uh, And I wrote a book last year uh, that people can get on the website as well. Um, If you wanna connect with me about uh, culture work, uh, one of the coolest things you can do is listen to my podcast. I have a weekly podcast called The Culture Coach. Uh, It's really short and uh, they're just insights every week on all things culture so you can check that out and uh connect with me if you want to talk so there you go what was your what was your last book was it connected to the culture coaching no it's just a um it's really like a deep end devotional if you will it's called life whispers and uh, i journal a lot i write a lot in my journal and my friends kept saying so when are you going to publish these Uh, And I hadn't thought about it, but that's really what it is. It's just insights and thoughts about, you know, trying to get deeper into who we are as people. Right. And then you said just the other day that you're starting another book now. I am. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm on the hook now. Um, Yeah, yeah, this book. Yeah, I needed it. I needed to tell somebody. Um, So this third book that I'm writing, this will be my third book, um, is about culture. Okay. Um, and about the work that I do. Uh, the, the first book I wrote was similar, but it was for people in faith communities uh, about how to build a diverse creative ministry. And then I wrote Life Whispers last year. And then this one will be about uh, culture work. Um, it will be for kind of your, you know, mainstream uh, corporate leader. So last question would be for for the many folks out there who are burned out, frustrated, scared, um, just feeling all of that stuff as they're engaging either the, the religious culture right now or the irreligious culture and there's kind of acid and ashes on both sides of that line. Um, mm-hmm. With all of your experience as a spiritual leader, as an artist, as a culture coach, do you have any kind of words of care and advice um, to offer for people who are just trying to survive with their soul and heart intact? Any kind of words that, that we can leave people with? Yeah, I'll leave you with two things. One One thing that one of my mentors says all the time, he says, Sometimes you need to slow down to speed up. Um, And for many people, particularly if you're burnt, if you think just keep grinding at it is going to make it better, you're fooling yourself. Um, That's not how things work. (laughs) Hmm. Uh, You're a human being. You're not a machine. And so I would 
I would really encourage people to build in structures in their life that will help them slow down. Even if it's for a day, um, it will change your life. You have to do this. You have to do this. Mm. Um, and some, for, for many of you, your best creativity comes when you're in the shower or when you're driving the car. Or Why? Well, because your brain is at rest, really. So give yourself that, that opportunity. And the second thing I would say is just take time to ask yourself really good questions about your life. You know, things like, what do I want? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Answer that question, right? Mm-hmm. What do I want? Um, why do I feel this way? Whatever that way is. Um, mm-hmm. Just be as good to yourself as you may be as to other people. Mm. You, you deserve to be the recipient of your own giftedness. Thank you, Nikki Lerner. It's been great. Hey, you bet, man. Strength can only go so far to feed your perception. It lies to you and blinds your eyes, hides all my imperfections. so much nikki for your generosity of spirit your wonderful heart and your smoking tunes and thank you to karen berquist and linford detweiler over the rhine for inviting us to this wonderful festival and for making sure nikki lerner had some space there Don't go away. The True Tunes podcast will be right back after this. True Tunes is on the road. I've been to Indiana, California, Tennessee, Iowa, and Illinois so far, and we are currently looking at opportunities around the country. These conversations have been a lot of fun, with me bringing a turntable and some records and a guitar, and often finding artists or other special guests to join me. I've also done songwriting workshops, music business clinics, and even some conversations about how we can slow ourselves down and listen to music more carefully, more thoughtfully, and yes, more spiritually. So, from auditoriums to small groups, there's kind of something for everyone. You can follow all of the action at truetunes.com events, and if you would be interested in having me come speak in your neck of the woods, drop me a line at jjt at truetunes.com and let me know. I'm also excited to be aligning with the Porchlight Network for house shows. Porchlight is a growing network of house show venues around the country, and you can learn more at porchlight.art. So, for house shows, look me up at Porchlight. For schools, venues, churches, or other opportunities, just connect with me directly. And hopefully, I'll be seeing you out there in person. We're back with the True Tunes Podcast. 
add some perspective to this conversation with Nikki Lerner, one of my first discoveries at the Nowhere Else Festival, we decided to load up the jukebox with records from artists who performed at Nowhere Else in 2022. I'm going to bend the pop top off this can of Wild Heaven Stout here and drop it in the slot. Let's see what happens. As I mentioned earlier, Karen and Linford of Over the Rhine curate the Nowhere Else Festival not around who is the most popular or even who they think will generate the most buzz. No, they generally work to find slots for artists they have toured with or have met on the road. They save one slot every year for an artist that has shaped them, and by extension, all of us, in a major way. This year, the legacy artist was singer and songwriter Iris Dement, the enchanting vocalist and breathtaking songwriter who went toe-to-toe with none other than John Prine several times. She don't like her eggs all runny. She thinks crossing her legs is funny. She looks down her nose at money. She gets it on like the Easter Bunny. She's my baby, I'm her honey. I'm never gonna let her go. Well, he ain't got laid in a month of Sundays I caught him once and he was sniffing my undies He ain't real sharp, but he gets things done Drinks his beer like it's oxygen But he's my baby and I'm his honey I'm never gonna let him go In spite of ourselves We'll end up sitting on a rainbow Against all odds Honey, we're the big door prize we're gonna spy our noses right off of our faces there won't be nothing but big old hearts dancing in our eyes yeah seeing iris dement and over the rhine together would have been more than worth the price of a full event ticket and truth be told i wasn't super familiar with most of the other names on the bill i had heard of a couple of them but most were a mystery as they played, though, I could tell why each one of them had been selected. Let our hearts not be hardened To those living on the margins There is a room at the table For everyone This is how it all begins This is how we gather in There is a room at the table For everyone Carrie Newcomer is a folkies folky. Her warm alto and gentle style immediately recall the pure folk sounds of the 60s, but her songcraft and production finesse is modern through and through. 
Newcomer opened the first day of the Nowhere Else Festival with a packed seminar that touched on her songwriting process and personal perspective on the creative life. She then took the stage a few hours later and her rich voice rolled gently through the grounds. I don't know how, no I don't know how, I've never done this before, at least until now, learn by heart, the hard and easy parts, but I'm feeling it clearly, the old song's grown weary, I will sing a new song. The old ones carried me this far and for so long But it's time to walk on Lifting up my voice and heart with a new Newcomer reminds me of some of the folk singers I heard in the 80s still playing that 60s style before artists like Sean Colvin and Suzanne Vega updated it in the 90s. She's been putting out acclaimed albums for over 40 years now. Her presence at Nowhere Else was a welcome tether to the old school folk sound that connects over the Rhine to the music of the 60s in an organic and unforced way. It was a real treat to hear Carolina Story grace the stage at Nowhere Else. I'll be honest, while I first heard Ben and Emily Roberts when they launched Carolina Story about a decade ago at a coffee shop in East Nashville, and I have been a fan since their music first crossed my radar, for some reason I completely missed the release of their stunning album Dandelion in 2020. Though the songs were written and recorded before the pandemic, the tone of grace amidst struggle, weariness, and deep, deep questions fits the last two years perfectly. The stories behind the songs, which Ben and Emily shared during an amazing conversation with Linford in the loft of the barn, well, I'll hold off on talking about that in any detail as I hope to have them on the show before too long. But their set at Nowhere Else was incredible, and Dandelion is well worth a deep dive. Want a shot at the title I'm in my knuckleball prime My dogs are tired But they still got fight I won't hang it out, boys Not this time 
I'm hitting all the corners, gonna shed some light. When she hits that note, boys, it's all done. Oh, I'm gonna win this one. Willie T. Taylor was a trip. From his four-string parlor guitar to his lo-fi persona, it felt like he might have crawled out of an ancient coal mine or that maybe he had sprung from the pages of a steampunk bluegrass hymnal. Though always delivered with a laugh and a wink, Taylor's brutally honest songs blended debauchery, heartbreak, humor, and weariness that often howled like unanswered prayers. duo Daniel Ryan Harvey and Isaiah John Muller, known musically as The Wine Tree, took the stage with an acoustic guitar, a fiddle, and their two voices. They needed nothing else. This was another major discovery for me, as I had their melodies and stories stuck in my head for a long time after the performance. As we talked outside the tent, we found out that we shared some cornerstone history. One of the guys had been in a band which played that festival. Their latest album, What I See When I Go Home, is a lovely, stark treasure of a record. Hopefully you've noticed their songs on our weekly Spotify mixes. I'm hoping to have these Kentucky natives on the show here before too long as well. The bottles ways are hard to figure When you have to break the seal or pull the trigger Of all the things she could have chosen to forget She drove off playing my Willie Nelson cassette She's taking back roads down through Tennessee Red-headed stranger never meant so much to me Never meant so much to me. Okay, here we go. (laughs) 
Another good day above ground, Lord. Another good day above ground. Another good day above ground, Lord. It's another good day above ground. When I wake up in the morning, if I don't feel so good, I put my elbows out the east side. If I don't feel the wood, then it's another good day. Another good day above ground. I have no idea how Vance Gilbert has evaded my consciousness for the 30 years he has been writing and releasing soul-anchored folk music. He runs in the same circles as many of my favorite artists and is beloved by many of them. Karen and Linford met him out on the road, knew he'd be a fit, and boy were they right. You can live on pie and whiskey, but you surely won't live too long. One is as sweet as your very first kiss The other gonna go down strong Neither one will sustain When the other make your belly lame and go all wrong You can live on pie and whiskey But you surely won't live too long Gilbert took ownership of the stage, all by his lonesome, and tore right into Pie and Whiskey, the opening track from his 2020 album, Good Good Man. Between his devastatingly smooth vocal, perfectly aggressive guitar style, and one of the best opening lines I've heard in years, it took him exactly 42 seconds to make everyone in that tent a fan. Lock all the doors, shut all the windows tight, cause I'm bringing down the house of pain. Don't look back, everything's gonna be alright Cause I'm bringing down the house of pain I didn't know that I didn't have a good time Till I stepped outside in the morning light I may never be the same, but that's alright Cause I'm bringing down the house of pain I actually got into Gilbert's music just before the festival. I made myself a playlist that included 10 songs from every artist on the bill, and Gilbert's tracks really got under my skin. I moved up close enough to the stage to shout out a request late in the set. Gilbert seemed thrilled that someone there knew his songs enough to have requested Zombie Patty Cake, which he then killed. Once upon a time when we were dead and you know just wandered around, Biting and eating everybody all over town. Not a lot of brain function at the old spinal cord junction. So we amble, we ramble, and make the strangest of sounds. With all that tromping and marauding and human smokers bored and other zombie business, you know a zombie surely can't get bored. So when two zombies meet each other and bump foreheads, it's no mistake. It's a perfect opportunity for some zombie patty cake, zombie patty cake. Clap the back of both hands, then the right, then the left, then the wrist of your friends. You hope your arms don't fall off and your elbows don't break. Other than that, have yourself a good time. Play some zombie patty cake. Mm. Gilbert stuck around after his set and came back the next day to lead a songwriting conversation workshop. He actually moved the event out to the yard at the last minute, and the entire group sat in a massive circle that kept getting bigger as the conversation evolved. People just asked him questions and he riffed amazing answers, lobbing insights and one-liners like a master. I don't let the audience outright determine whether the song works or not. 
but I can tell by how it wants to fall that, you know, it's just not, it's not working. But I tell my, my songwriting students, I say, well, don't let it be a non-song. I don't think anything is a non-song. I give it a, an urban metaphor. You take this song and you put it up on blocks in the yard and you have a choice of things to do. You can strip this song for parts or you can mail away to Amazon and get the parts and put the song back together as it is. And you can continue to do that. The other thing is that um, as you're writing a song, is another metaphor I throw out to my songwriting students, and that's it doesn't matter what the, the impetus for the song was. The root of the song, whatever had you start to write the song, does not rule what that song is about. You serve the song. You can leave every bit of impetus that you started the song with and do something else as long as you are serving the song. Gilbert is another guy I hope to have on the show at some point. Pay attention to the weekly Spotify mix. I've been adding his songs regularly and will continue to do so. This guy is unreal. You like to call me right around midnight When you know that I'm fast asleep Just to tell me that you're unhappy This ain't the harvest you were looking to reap I said go on back to bed darling Come tomorrow you'll be right as rain There's just something about the wine and the darkness Make you wanna tell me about all of your pain Said you wanna be taken away Swept off your feet and moved someplace Find people to meet Loved intently, worshipped, adored Slate wiped clean, all that and more Tell me, honey, would you be happy Or would you be ashamed Living some life you created In somebody else's name Another artist you should have been hearing on the weekly Spotify mix is Oklahoma native John Fulbright. This guy is explosive. It was as if Tom Waits, Woody Guthrie, Jason Isbell, and Graham Parker got together to create the perfect insurgent Americana pop icon. are all the same You wake up in the morning You take a sip of shame But I ain't sipped nothing since I woke up today And all I can think to do right now is get down on my knees and pray I'll be good They say you help the needy 
Fulbright is really cutting through. He's got close to 100,000 people listening to him every month on Spotify. Seeing artists with this much grit and panache gives me hope for today's emerging singer-songwriters. Solly is just a freak. Seriously, he's someone that was on my radar before nowhere else, mainly for his unbelievably cool film score work on projects like Land, Maiden Trip, Ruth, and even Parenthood. Ben is a wickedly imaginative cellist, tripping effortlessly between graceful ambience, experimental funk, catchy alternative pop, and psychedelic jazz. Although I knew about his score work, I didn't realize he was such a great songwriter and singer. His set, which he delivered, for the most part with just a drummer backing him up, was gripping and powerful. Bought an old tux coat at the vintage store Had a few holes in it from the man before You wore a champagne Bought it at Target cause it cost less Rented an old house with spiral stays And I watched you walk down them with flowers in your hair Four months ago I didn't know your name But I guess even as strangers we rattled the cage There's a few folks whispering The billboards say what they want We didn't ask your permission Solly is another guy I need to get on this show. We talked about it, I just hope we can make it happen. Sometimes musical geniuses can be kind of inscrutable. They're impressive, but occasionally inaccessible. 
Not so with Solly. He is an explosively creative and soulful guy with wisdom beyond his years and ideas for days. Do not sleep on this guy. Hollywood passing through your neighborhood. Had a feeling I should stop by. Read you line from some old romance book. We talked. Is that rock band of yours to play? Or have you grown apart like we did? How did we ever go our separate ways? Oh, but it must be someone else's fault. Must be someone else's heart. Tainted mind. Courtney Marie Andrews is another artist I should have been paying closer attention to. Her brand of alternative folk has really matured into something transcendent. She offered several songs from her breezy new album, Loose Future, delivered languidly by a small, stylish band and breathed in deeply by the Nowhere Else crowd. There's a definite Laurel Canyon vibe to Loose Future, and certainly to her live performance, which is likely mostly due to the way she mashes up classic pop melodies, cosmic country sound effects, and lyrics that seem determined to simultaneously reach into the deepest crevices of her own psyche and the highest passing clouds at the same time. He says, I'm sorry, baby. Last night was just the whiskey talking You know how when I get to drinking I can sometimes lose my head And she puts down her coffee And smiles to keep from crying Picks up an empty bottle Holds it out and says alcohol's defense is not the one that did the hurting it just opened up the curtain to show what you really feel you just needed 90 proof to give me your two cents that's how I see it and alcohol's defense from my perspective, Americana songwriter and artist Hayes Carl was probably the second biggest name to appear at the Nowhere Else Festival behind Iris Dement. 
Carl has been busting out a living as a well-respected workaday songwriter. He's had cuts with Leanne Womack and others, and got several of his own performances placed in Country Strong, the Gwyneth Paltrow starring film from 2010. But with songs like She Left Me for Jesus and Drunken Poet's Dream, Carl seems to be most appreciated as a crafter of wry, sideways tunes that use humor to give peaks at deeper things. We've been dating since high school We never once left this town We used to go out on the weekends And we drank till we drowned But now she's acting funny And I don't understand I think that she's found Carl's closing set was blistering and perfect. He tends to sell out some pretty big venues, so the chance to see him with a killer band in a setting like Karen and Linford's backyard was, well, unforgettable. the hosts, the gems at the heart of this wonderful setting, were great as well. Over the Rhine played each night, with the magnificent Jennifer Condos on bass, no less. They treated the fans to a couple of new songs and promised that Linford's latest solo album is just about done, and that a long, gestating hymns project is coming together. In the meantime, though, they have been hosting other events at their newly renovated barn. Hey, you it as a cross between the Grand Old Opry and the best house show venue you could possibly imagine. I'll tell you what, if you can get yourself to Martinsville, maybe book an Airbnb or get a room at the local inn and spend an evening with Over the Rhine in the loft of that barn, you'll be glad you did. 
thank you for, for supporting us. And we couldn't do it. We really couldn't do it without you. So thank you so much. Love me like a memory held too long. Like the need to feel some forgotten song. me to chills like it's only me like it's hard to kill the last cottonwood tree love me later when the stars fall down a burning light for a wedding gown they stole the blood right out of this ground Trace the scars on mountains The sun that sits in a bloody fountain Take me home and lay me down On the hungry earth Love me, love me On the sacred ground 2023 edition of the Nowhere Else Festival has already been announced for September 1 through 3. That's Labor Day weekend again. Mark it down. Get your tickets. There's really no need to wait to see the lineup. The thing I loved most about Nowhere Else was that whether I knew the next artist coming up or not, I could just sit back and relax. If they were going to play on that stage, Karen and Linford thought they were worth it. Meet me at the edge of the world. As I pull out my soapbox to wrap this up, I'm remembering the vocal exercises Nikki had us doing and how it made me think about being in a choir. I spent many fulfilling years singing in some excellent choirs. It was hard work, but after all the rehearsal, our voices blended together into one massive beautiful thing. There were discernible parts, for sure, but ultimately, it combined into one unified sound. It took a lot of careful listening to get there, though. And our conductor, Mr. Ross Heisey, was there to critique us. He demanded our focus and discipline. Out of 80 voices, he could identify any single one that was faking it, off pitch, shaping the vowels incorrectly or missing the crescendo. The secret to our success as a choir, and we were very successful, we won many competitions, was that we submitted to his leadership and we listened very carefully even as we generated sounds of our own. It seems to me that many people, probably too many, are so concerned about having their voice heard, their individual voice, that they miss out on the beauty that a united community of voices can make. We think that every thought we have, every note that lives in our throat, is the most important thing at all times. 
I'm not suggesting that those things are not important, but they are not always the most important. If you are my age or better, you might remember the feel-good hit of the 80s, We Are the World. A slew of pop, rock, and R&B stars got together to sing one song with all proceeds going to charity. It was a nice thought and a good bit of spectacle, but was it really a choir? It never struck me that way. It was a collection of individuals, each getting their moment to warble into the mic. I remember that song helping me really appreciate dedicated groups like the Mississippi Mass Choir. Oh, I love a solo artist too. I love Bob Dylan with his guitar and harmonica standing in defiance. And Bob with a band? Yeah, that's cool too. Bob getting one line and we are the world? Well, I could have done without that. So, what does this have to do with anything? I think Nikki's work, both as a musical artist and as a consultant doing culture coaching with corporations, is about developing the same kind of critical listening skills that help us be better members of the choir and more compassionate members of our community. Karen and Linford seem to have pulled together a certain kind of community choir in their own backyard as well. There were several moments, like when Iris DeMent had us singing Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, that we all sounded like a choir. But even when we weren't singing, there was something very choir-like about the whole affair. We trusted our conductors. We let them choose the songs, set the tempos, and call us to order. And between our songs, if we listened, we could hear the crickets and the birds singing along. Okay, I'm climbing off my soapbox now. My solo is over. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Thanks, Nikki Lerner and David Lerner for sending us that cool music to use. Thanks again to Karen and Linford of Over the Rhine. Make sure to mark your calendars for Nowhere Else 2023, September 1st through the 3rd. I hope to see you there. We'll have links to the music of all of the artists we talked about on this jukebox, everyone that played at Nowhere Else this year, on the show notes page for this episode, which you can find at truetunes.com slash Nikki Lerner. That's N-I-K-K-I-L-E-R-N-E-R. Or just head to our homepage and look for the show notes tab. You can also find links to Nikki's books and some video clips I recorded at Nowhere Else as well. If this is your first time joining us here on the podcast, welcome. We've got more than 80 previous episodes waiting for you to discover, featuring conversations with a wide range of artists, songwriters, filmmakers, and others from different genres and generations, all willing to explore the deep end of the creative pool. You can find the entire catalog of episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and most other podcast platforms. Please remember to check out our weekly Spotify mix, subscribe to our email list, leave us a rating and review at Apple Podcasts, and tell your friends about the show. We've got new True Tunes t-shirts, stickers, buttons, and pins available, so check those out too. And if you'd like to support the show, please drop by patreon.com slash truetunes. And if you'd like to have me come speak in your neck of the woods, let me know. We're also looking for sponsors, so if you have a book or film or conference or something else that you would like to promote to the coolest podcast audience in the world, let me know. This podcast was written and produced by me, JJT, with co-production editing and sound design by Bruce A. Brown for Gyroscope Productions. As always, thanks to Phil Keggy and Rex Paul for our theme song, the special instrumental mix of Full Circle. The contents of this program are protected by U.S. copyright law and are the intellectual property of Gyroscope Productions, with the exception of songs or clips that are from previously copywritten materials. Everything on this episode is used by permission or under fair use provisions. 
Thoughts and opinions of our guests do not represent the positions of our producers or our sponsors. Discernment is recommended. This program is intended for the private use of our listening audience. Gyroscope Productions can be reached at JJT at TrueTunes.com or P.O. Box 60401, Nashville, Tennessee 37206. Until next time, this is JJT suggesting that if you've never been in a choir, try it out. It might change your perspective on a lot of things. But remember, don't lock your knees when we get up there on the risers. You don't want to cut off your blood flow and faint. Peace. Where the cattle are fat in the rising.